Hebrews is it's not light. Uh, it's, it's pretty heavy. And so we're going to hopefully spend about three weeks in it. Uh, and in between those three weeks, we'll have a, a couple of, of uh, different messages just because of uh, VBS closing next week and, and kids camp and all that stuff. But uh, we're going to sp- hopefully spend three weeks here. Hebrews has been called one of the most difficult books to interpret, uh, second only to Revelation. But that certainly shouldn't cause us to avoid it because if we did, we would be missing out on some very rich biblical truths from a, a book that has been described as evaluating Encouraging, examining, expecting of, re- of, of its readers, and one that is exalting Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of this gospel that we have been searching for in our 2020 study. Uh, and, and before we go any further, let me go ahead and say, man, it's good to be back with you. It's always good to get away on vacation. Um, if you've ever been out west, we went, we went uh, 4,000 miles west, uh, well, there and back, and so a, a great a great trip, man, just seeing the creation of our God, and uh, it's always good to be gone, but it's always good to be back, and I appreciate everybody who filled in while I was gone. Uh, so getting back to Hebrews, there has been much debate on who wrote Hebrews. Many have thought it was one of the disciples or Paul, and while it was likely someone uh, close to them, the bottom line is we don't know who wrote it because it doesn't come out and say But that doesn't take away from the fact that it is rich, and again, it is deep, uh, it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is the Word of God. Now the name Hebrews comes from the fact that it was written to Jewish believers, possibly in Rome, likely in the middle first century, and persecution had come, and it was not going away. So here's a question to kind of get us started a little bit here today. What do all these things have in common? Um, staying in a cheaper motel to save just a few bucks, Uh, sitting through a timeshare presentation, cutting your own hair, cleaning the house, going grocery shopping when you're hungry, uh, cats in general, and uh, making jokes about bombs in the airport. What do all seven of those things have in common? It's just not worth it. They're, they're just not worth it. Now, if you're offended by my list of things that I think are, are just not worth it, remember, we are, we are friends. But it appears that first century believers wanted to add to that list faith in Christ. It's, it's just not worth it. And maybe you've had the same thoughts. I mean, we've seen it in this study before. Living the life of faith can be difficult. There is, there's no promise of a carefree life. And we really don't even understand persecution. But for the Hebrew believers, persecution had started and more was coming. And it would have been easier just to go back to the old, familiar way of life and just assimilate back into culture. Now for the Jews, the old way of life was by the law. Remember, they were God's chosen people. Uh, he gave his revelation in the Old Testament Uh, Through Moses and the prophets. He even spoke through angels. There's even record of him speaking through a donkey. Do you remember that one? He's told them what's required of them to make them right with him. It's just to be holy by keeping all these laws and regulations. If they do that, then they're good. He's even shown them what happens when they don't. And that is exile. They had records of the accounts. They had read them. And so they probably thought, 
Okay, we'll just keep all these laws. We'll go back to this sacrificial system, the regulations. We'll keep it to the letter. Then we'll be good with God, and maybe Rome won't mind if we do that. And so it's a, it's a win-win. But the only problem is, the law doesn't make you right with God. And when we look into it, none of us have kept the law. Every single one of us breaks it. And the regulations of sacrifice were insufficient in completely atoning for sin as well. And while that donkey did speak truth back in Numbers 22, the message of Hebrews is this. God has more to say to you than any of this. And it's through one man. All of this, the entire Old Testament, has now been consummated in one man. And so inspired by God, whoever wrote Hebrews wrote to assure them that Jesus is worth it because Jesus is better. So number one on your outline, Jesus is better than angels. We'll pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, and being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and the upholding all things by the word of His power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5 says this. Stick with me here. I know it's deep. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And, verse 10 says, You, Lord, in the beginning lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Okay, so uh, a lot of stuff going on here. Now, depending on which Bible you are reading, most publishers, even in the Bible app, you will notice there are a lot of quotations and indentions in these paragraphs in chapter 1. And we will continue to see that throughout Hebrews. Actually, uh, the New Testament uses this technique to show uh, an Old Testament passage being quoted. So here in chapter 1 alone, seven Old Testament passages are quoted. And so uh, if when you read a passage like this on your own and it just doesn't make sense, uh, then you can, you can look in the little, the, 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 the fine print uh, at the bottom or in the middle on the side of your Bible, and you can tell where it's been quoted from. And so if you go back and look, 
you can read that in context, and, and, and it'll make things make sense. For instance, verse 7, right here, look, at, look again in your, in your word. He says, uh, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? What in the world? I mean, that, that seems kind of random, doesn't it? But when we go back and we, we see it's a quote from Psalm 104.4. And when you go and look and see it in context, it, these verses uh, are talking about how sovereign God is. And how God uses angels as his servants. So uh, chapter 1 here in Hebrews quotes Psalms, 2 Samuel, and Deuteronomy. And so this is more evidence that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And it shows us that whoever wrote Hebrews had a good good grasp, a good understanding of the Old Testament. So uh, on a little side note there, when you notice an indention when you're reading in the Word, it means it's a quote from the Old Testament. And so we should find out where it's coming from and check it out in context. So let me ask you this question. Uh, What do you think of when you think of angels? When you think of angels, what what picture comes to mind? Now, for the Jews, uh, these were the highest created beings. Psalm 8, 4 through 5 tells us that God created man a little lower than the angels. So so angels are up here and, and we're below them. Uh, they are way more than these little uh, nudie little harp-playing, cloud-riding cherubs that we see pictures of. These are the messengers of God. They are mighty warriors who carry out God's judgment, deliver God's message, and intervene on His, his people's behalf. So it wouldn't be much of a stretch for many people to worship Angels, And so God's word here in Hebrews makes it clear. Listen, Jesus is better than angels. Notice how Jesus is described here in chapter 1. Verse 2 says that he is the heir of all things. H-E-I-R, the heir. An heir is one who inherits something. And Jesus inherits all things because he created all things. Uh, Verse 2 tells us that God made the world's through him. Verse 3 uh, uses some beautiful metaphors calling Jesus first the brightness of God's glory. Look, notice there, verse 3. He's the brightness of God's glory. So think of it like this. What the rays of, of light are to the sun, that's an example of what Jesus is to God. You cannot have one without the other. Just, just think about that. What the, what the rays of light are to the sun is what Jesus is to God. You cannot have one without the other. Uh, Verse 3 again says, uh, the express image of his person. So we can think of this like like a signet ring. And So when when it's pushed into the wax, it leaves an impression. And what the impression is to the signet ring, that is what Jesus is to God. You cannot have one without the other. They are one and the same. And so the next blank is on your outline. You cannot have God without Jesus. You cannot have Jesus without God. Jesus possesses all the attributes of God because Jesus is God. Verse 3 goes on to tell us that Jesus upholds all things by what he says. It tells us that he purged our sins. He sits at the right hand of God. His name is better And then the the readers are reminded, he is above angels. Look at verse 5. God never said to any of the angels, you're my son, today I've begotten you. 
Again, uh, it says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6 says that angels worship him. Verse 8 says that his throne is established forever. Verse 10 says that he laid the foundations of the world and heavens. Verse 11 says they will pass away, but Jesus will remain. Verse 13 says no one else sits at his right hand. And the angels, uh, they minister to the saved, verse 14 says. And so if you remember, just like we saw in Colossians, you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, here it is again. None of these attributes are true about anyone else, only Jesus. That's what makes the gospel so powerful. This is why Jesus is better. Let's try to understand uh, these next blanks on your outline. The hierarchy of beings. So Jesus is supreme. That's the next blank on your outline. He is at the top. He is supreme. Angels are his highest created beings. So we got Jesus is supreme and then angels are his highest created beings. So what the, the beauty of the gospel... He made himself lower than the angels to become a man, to save us from our sin. Church, that is, that is a beautiful truth. That is an incredible truth. He is supreme, and yet he made himself lower in order to save us. It would be like, like a CEO taking an entry-level position in his own company. Or a rich landowner cleaning out the stalls of his own animals. It's unheard of. But that's what Jesus did. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. We see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Church, again, these are true of no one else. And so for the Hebrews and for us, the message is is similar. We cannot go trusting in some other created being. No other relationship that we have with anyone. Not even if it were possible to have a relationship with the highest created being, with an angel. It will not bring significance. It will not bring peace. It will not save you from the stuff that's coming at you. It will not give you the strength to endure. Only Jesus will. And so we must trust him. We must worship him because Jesus is better. And he's angels. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me this morning? All right. Let's continue. Chapter 3. We see Jesus is better than Moses. Number two on your outline. Jesus is better than Moses. So in in Jewish culture, Moses was the standard for a prophet of God. Exodus 33.11 says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The word doesn't say that God did that with anyone else. Moses had encounters with God like no one else. God spoke to Moses like no one else. Uh, Exodus 34 says that his face glowed 
Moses' face glowed after being with God in the tabernacle. Everyone knew about Moses. Uh, He was the one that confronted Pharaoh and brought God's judgment on him and his people. He was the one that that led the, the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. God performed many miraculous signs and wonders through him. It was at the hand of Moses that the plagues came upon Egypt. It was at the hand of Moses that the, the Red Sea parted, that water came from a rock, manna fell from heaven. Moses led many victories in battle. He brought the plans for the tabernacle. And then, of course, Moses gave the law, the Ten Commandments. It was written by the hand of God after 80 days of Moses being on Mount Sinai with God. Every one of the original readers knew Moses. He was the standard for all prophets that were to come. And the law God gave him would be the standard for living, which is why chapter 3 would be so shocking. And and before we read it, uh, you're going to notice the word house is used here quite a bit in chapter 3. And so the next blank on your outline, uh, the house here is not a building, but it is God's people. It's God's people. Uh, So chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Uh, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Again, house meaning people of God. Uh, For this one, this is talking about Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for the testimony of those, who, those things which would be spoken of afterward. But Christ as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence, the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So again, remember, house is not a building, it's the people of God. And so God confirms here. Listen, Moses ministered greatly to the people of God. But that was under the old covenant. Jesus ministers even more through the new covenant of his blood by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And so this is the contrast. Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus is the son over the house. Moses ministered to the people of God, but Jesus is over the people of God. Jesus is greater than Moses, first of all, in his ministry. That's the next blank on the outline. In his ministry. Because Moses, was, he served the people, but Jesus is over the people. And so, in his ministry. So look at verse 7, chapter 3 there. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Okay, so again, did you notice it's indented? It's, it's, a, it's a quote from the Old Testament. But notice it said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, uh, rest probably sounds really good to some of us, doesn't it? It probably sounds really good, especially the rest of of God. So you can write that down and then we're, we're going to talk about it. Jesus is greater than Moses in his rest. The rest offered to the Israelites when Moses led them out of Egypt was the promised land. 
It was, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was lush. It was green. It was beautiful. They were offered to live in houses that they did not build and eat from trees that they did not plant. And they were on the cusp of entering when the spies went in and the majority of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, said, we, we cannot do this. They are too big. We are too small. Even if God is with us, we can't make this. And the people believed their lie And we know what ended up happening. That entire generation, 40 years wandering in the desert. All of them died out except for Joshua and Caleb. They did not enter the rest of the promised land because they did not believe. Chapter 4 verse 1 in Hebrew says this, A promise remains of entering his rest. This is good news for us. See, the forefathers, they blew it. But what he's saying is, there's still a chance for you because of Jesus. So understand what this message would have meant for these persecuted early believers. They were probably stressed out. They were probably uncertain. They may have had many sleepless nights. And maybe that describes you here today. Stressed out, uncertain, many sleepless nights. But God's word says to us, a promise of rest still remains. Moses is long gone. And even for the original readers, the promised land did not look the same as it did thousands of years ago. But Jesus offers a better rest because he makes all things new. And even better than the promised land, he's offering an eternity in heaven and so much more. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And stick with me here. Because, again, I know this is a lot to take in, but, man, this is, this is so important. We've been here before. I want to call your attention to a little word, in. I-N. The original Greek is E-N, but here's what it means. This little preposition holds a lot of weight. It denotes a fixed position. It relates to a place of rest. It relates to a place of rest. So Ephesians 1 Verse 3, you notice every time it says, in Christ, okay? Make a note, make a mental note of that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Here's the rest that Jesus gives. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us In all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Verse 11 says, In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Do you see all that we are in him when we truly rest in him, not something else. Here's the list. We have spiritual blessings. We are chosen. We are holy. We are without blame. We're adopted as sons and daughters. We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. We experience the riches of his grace. We understand the mystery of his will. We obtain an inheritance. We bring him glory. These are all true when we rest in him. And none of these are true of Moses because Jesus is better. And we could spend months right here in chapter 4, but we're going to finish with this. Hebrews 4, 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay, so church, we, we know from Genesis 1. On the seventh day, God rested. And, and he would later command his people to do the same. The penalty of death. For disobedience. Numbers 15, a man was stone, sentenced to stoning, stoning to death just because he picked up sticks on the Sabbath. And it seems really harsh to us, but God was clear. The fourth commandment is found in Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now this is the only of the Ten Commandments not confirmed in the New Testament. Why is that? Every one of the other ones, every, every one of the other nine, it's confirmed in the New Testament except this one. Why not? It's because Jesus changes everything. And we still need the concept of a Sabbath, and some of us probably need to hear that again. We need the concept of, of Sabbath, but we no longer have to work for our salvation. We don't have to keep a bunch of rules. All those rules that Moses gave, Jesus changes everything because his ministry was better, because his rest is better. Jesus is better. And so for you this morning, if you're considering walking away from the faith and just assimilating back into culture because it's easy, that would be something that you'd end up putting on that list of things that are not worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better. We're going to pick up here uh, the next time we're in Hebrews. But as we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Listen, I know this, one, this one's kind of a tough one to digest, but I know that you can, you can handle it. So the questions still remain. What has Jesus said to you this morning through his word? And what are you going to do about it? We sang this, this song, Jesus is better. 
But I wonder if, if our lives really reflect those words that we sing. Because so many times we put something else in front of Jesus and we're essentially saying, no, this is better than Jesus. But as his word says, it's just not true. Jesus is better. And so what comes to your mind when I ask you the question, what have you put before God? It, it could be burdens. It could be stuff. It could be relationships. What have you put before Him? What needs to change in your life in order for you to be able to say with all truth and all honesty, Jesus is better. Think about that word rest. And think of the promises that we have of being in Christ. Are you truly resting in Him? Think about that. Just, just think about rest because some of us, are, are, we're just missing it. Our minds are going so crazy. We, we never take, take a moment to, to slow down. and Just hear what, what Jesus is trying to say to us. Sometimes we never just open the Word and try to listen to what, what Jesus is saying to us. What in your life needs to change for you to enter that rest? The promise is still there. We just have to claim those and be in Christ. Uh, Lord, we, we just invite you to come during this time.